Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? Those are blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author. It's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We're giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson, that's me. I don't talk about myself in the third person usually. We'll take a trip to my local indie in Richmond, pick five at random off of their shelves to mail to five winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date. And that's bookriot.com slash blind date. Or if you can't wait, just go see if your local indie has their own shelf. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 201, and we are recording on October 1st. Yes! Woo! I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I have October feelings. I'm just the human <laughs> embodiment of that like old SNL gif of the guy with the pumpkin head just dancing. Yes! Yeah. Yes! Yeah. Oh. 95 I degrees, I don't care. <laughs> I yeah, it's really humid and like the high is supposed to be 80 something today, but it is October. And, you know, so my local graveyard is doing a screening of arsenic and old lace on nice. Friday. And I was like on my run this morning, like thinking about like what I'm going to wear and like, <laughs> you know, do I get my witch hat out now or do I wait? And then I sat down at my computer and realized not only is it the first day of the month, but it's the first day of a quarter. And I was like, so this is adulting, like planning my costume outfit for a screening in a graveyard and also running like 1000 quarterly reports. Yep. Yep. That sounds right. I had the same like my I apparently in my I use things three for my personal to do list. And mm. I had scheduled, I guess, a million things for October 1st. So I woke up in my to do list was like, go check out Target's Halloween decoration aisle. <laughs> Pick your costume. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Thanks, past me. Anyway, yeah. we like October around here. It's very Anne of Green Gables. So how the show works, um, as I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email them to us at getbooked at bookriot.com or drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive and your question can be anything, if it's for you or your book club or you need something to read now that you've finally read the Testaments or whatever. If it's time sensitive, please let us know in the subject line of the email. If you use the form, put it in big letters at the beginning of your question so we see it. We might email you back um, if we're not going to get to it in time or if we've already answered your question on the show. Okay, we do have one piece of feedback from Alicia who says, I have a recommendation for Kelly from episode 199 who is looking for bonkers plot lines. I recently read Jane Unlimited by Kristen Kishore. And while it's not a perfect book, it definitely had that I have no idea what's happening, but I'm just going to go with it feeling. So thank you for that feedback, Alicia. Okay, I'm going to read our first question, and Jen will tell you about our first sponsor, and away we will go. So our first question is from Laura, who says, I'm looking for a book that gives me the same feeling as the Black Tapes podcast. Basically, a journalist gets pulled into a dark story dealing with demons that may have turned their attention to her. I read Paul Tremblay's A Head Full of Ghosts, and that was close. Really, anything paranormal that's got a reality spin could work. 
All right, for sponsor. I was just looking at the site and we have a skin up today for this and it looks so good. Ooh, wow, I want to look. Yeah, it's uh, Rebel by Marie Lu, uh, sponsored by Fierce Reads. And this is the fourth and final, theoretically, book in a blockbuster bestselling series, uh, the Legend series. And apparently fans were like hoping and asking and waiting for another Legend book. And even though Marie never planned to write another one, she had an idea that wouldn't let her go. And she knew that there was more story to tell. So this is that book. So it's Rebel, which reunites us with our favorite characters on a totally unexpected and thrilling adventure. And the details are pretty sparse here because, you know, it's the fourth book in a series. Mm -hmm. Like It feels like it's impossible to talk about with giving spoilers. But it is the grand finale um, in this unforgettable world of legend. And Entertainment Weekly has called it an epic romantic saga. And Tahara Mafi, who we've talked about on the show quite a few times, has said, uh, Rebel is a masterful feat written by a powerhouse author. Marilu is mad. Magic, which I think that sounds agreed. Pretty legit, yeah. So <laughs> if you too have been waiting for more books in the Legend series, this is your day. Again, that's Rebel by Marie Lu, uh, and it's sponsored by Fierce Reads, and there is great rejoicing. <laughs> Upon the world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so I picked a book about a journalist who gets pulled into a dark story. So maybe this is a little bit on the nose for you, uh, Laura. But I picked Ring by Koji Suzuki. It's translated by Robert B. Romer and Glenn Wally. And this is like, it's the ring. <laughs> if you remember that horror movie from what was it? Like, the, I think I saw it in high school, like the early 2000s. Uh, or maybe it was early college. I don't remember. But that was a, you know, Naomi Watts joint. And the book is definitely not a Naomi Watts joint. It's by an author, Koji Suzuki, is known as the Japanese Stephen King. So if that gives you an idea of kind of what you're getting involved with. Uh, it's about a man named Asakawa, who is a journalist. And his niece dies mysteriously one day. She's a young adult. I think she's a college student. And then he finds out that three other kids who were like in her social circle um, also died mysteriously that day, like with no explanation. Um, and so he gets really involved in trying to find out what happened to his niece because like she was young. She was in perfect health. Like what is going on? And his investigation leads him to rural Japan where he figures out that his niece and her friends were staying at a resort um, and watched a video that he finds. And the video says like if you watch this video you're going to die within 10 days unless you do and then the rest of the tape is taped over <laughs> so he has to of course figure out what was on the rest of the tape so he doesn't die and then his wife and his child watch the tape on accident and so the stakes become even higher and so you could see if you've seen the movie like it's very similar to that but and this is not a spoiler because it's on the back of the book but the, the the tape is recorded like telekinetically so there's like a weird kind of supernatural element going on um, in the movie there's a, like a creepy ghost girl who's coming around and killing people for some reason the book's a little bit different it doesn't follow the movie exactly or rather vice versa but it is spooky and creepy and weird um, and is very much about, like, a journalist who's, like, you know, that, I don't know, like, a noir kind of guy who, like, I've seen it all. I'm so hard and crusty, except this is terrifying <laughs> and I have no explanation for what's happening to me right now and I don't like it. <laughs> so if you like that kind of mishmash of reality and horror, then that is what you should go read. So that's Ring by Koji Suzuki.
I asked Liberty for some help with this question <laughs> because my spook meter is just so delicate. Um, and she <laughs> recommended The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnop. She absolutely loved it. And this sounds exactly like what you were looking for. It is about a journalist named Jack Sparks who died while writing the book within the book. And everybody knew that he was researching the occult for this new book. And he but was not a believer. Like he went online and made fun of an exorcism he witnessed and Twitter got really mad at him. And then a weird video gets posted on his YouTube account and he says it wasn't him. And nobody knew what happened to him in the days that followed the posting of that video. And so everything sort of unfolds. But this is 100% about a journalist who doesn't believe in ghosts. And then spooky, <laughs> spooky, no spooky. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think this is definitely going to scratch that same itch. And again, Liberty absolutely loved it. So that's always a good recommendation. So that is The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnop. All right. Our next question is from April, who says, as the fall approaches, I find myself wanting to wrap up in a blanket and read something spooky. I don't read much horror, and I'm not even 100% sure that's the right descriptor for what I mean. I want something to creep me out, but it doesn't rely on body horror and excessive gore to do it. Books I've enjoyed in the past with this general feeling include We Have Always Lived in the Castle, The Fireman, Frankenstein, One Bloody Thing After Another, and The Hellbound Heart. Did not like Bird Box or Final Girls. Generally haven't enjoyed Stephen King's work. I don't like true crime and I don't look I don't think I'm looking for something that falls in the thriller category. And please no books that contain sexual assault. Okay. Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, so I think what you actually like to read is gothic fiction, which mm. is not the same thing as horror, um, or thrillers even. And both of us and both of us picked gothic stuff for you. Uh not on purpose. We do not consult before <laughs> we talk to each other. Uh, but I think that's what you are looking for. So if you like the books that we recommend and you want more of that kind of thing, then you can just go, you know, search for Google uh, Google search um for gothic literature. So I picked The Moth Diaries by Rachel Klein for you, which is kind of like a classic of YA, in as much as a book published in like two thousand two could be considered a classic. Um but it is about a girl who is I think she's sixteen when the book opens, she goes to uh, a very like prestigious boarding school and when the book opens she's an adult it's like 30 years later and she is publishing her diaries from her stay in boarding school on the advice of her therapist who is saying that like it will be therapeutic for her and it will also like contribute to the body of literature about the you know growing up experience of adolescent girls so she publishes her diary and it is a diary about her friendship with a girl named Lucy who is her like best friend at boarding school they're very very close they have like contrived a way to spend to be each other's roommates for the year at boarding school but then Lucy starts getting close the first week of school to a new girl named Ernessa and Ernessa is like very mysterious she doesn't really socialize with the other girls she's very pale she only comes out at night she has really big teeth do you get where I'm going with this <laughs> <laughs> so the narrator becomes convinced that Ernessa is a vampire and that she is preying upon her friend Lucy. She also, the main character, also happens to be studying like supernatural gothic fiction at school while this is happening. So the big question is like, is Ernessa a vampire or is our unreliable narrator like a, you know, quote unquote, hysterical girl who's just influenced by hysterical girl books kind of a thing? Or is it maybe some weird combination of both of those things? And I really like this story because it's very atmospheric, just like the Shirley Jackson, we've always lived in the castle, like all the books that you recommended, actually, um, like the atmosphere is 
suffocating. And the more freaked out the narrator gets, the more freaked out you get, and the more you doubt your own ability to like discern what's actually happening here. Um, and I will tell you that you're not going to get like a pat answer. Um, so it's very much up to you to decide how creepy you think this book is in reality. I'm using air quotes around reality. <laughs> so that's The Moth Diaries by Rachel Klein. Just co-signing everything Amanda just said about that book. <laughs> All correct. Um, so I picked a short story collection for you that just came out, and I loved it so much. I loved it so, so, so much. It's called His Hideous Heart. It is edited by Dahlia Adler. It's got 13 YA authors, and it is a reimagining of the stories of Edgar Allan Poe. And what I love about this collection right off the bat is that it is a really broad range of contributors who have very different perspectives on like they write different kinds of YA literature. They come from different backgrounds and ethnicities and countries. And like it's a really broad group, which is really cool. And Dahlia Adler in the intro specifically notes like how much she personally was impacted by Edgar Allan Poe, but also how she doesn't say this outright, but he was racist. Like he was very, mm -hmm. he was a, he's a racist person. And you can see that in his fiction, also misogynist in certain ways. And so, you know, she, but she does say like she wanted this collection to, you know, showcase the voices that were neglected by work like his. And this absolutely does. And oh my God, it's a lot. Like it's, the, some of them are much, uh, like more obviously violent than others and then others are just like the atmospheric creepy like oh what is going on um and but i think like it's not it doesn't rely on gore and i think it really will scratch the the spooky spooky itch um and i just want to call out a couple i thought that Tiffany Jackson's rewrite of the Cask of Amontillado ah, was amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place during the West Indies uh, parade in New York City. It's fantastic. Well, technically in Brooklyn. Um, and there's, uh, oh, yeah, Kendar Blake rewrote Metzingerstein, and it's so creepy. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> like, there's just so many good ones in here. And um, what I also love about this collection is that they put all the original stories in the second half of the book. So you can read the retellings, and then if you're feeling so inspired, you can go and read the originals and, like, compare and contrast if you're so inclined. So it's, like, kind of like a double winner, this book. It's got so much going for it. I just loved it. Also, also, quick shout-out to Lamar Giles's The Oval Portrait. Oh, my gosh. That was rough. That was rough. Um, so, okay, yes. But anyway, really good. So that is His Hideous Heart, edited by Dahlia Adler. Extremely co-signed. Yeah. <laughs> I was upset. I mean, you it's on my Instagram account like 40 times. Yes. I went and I saw Fran Wilde and Lamar Giles do a talk in the Poe <gasps> Museum you? here. Yes, and it was lovely. Fran Wilde is a genius. Like mm. she the way that she speaks with no like forethought is just just the smartest. Like, what are these words that you're saying? She's got like 45 PhDs. She's just a <laughs> My favorite story from this collection is I don't remember the name of it. But Rin Shupeiko writes a retelling of Murders of the Rue Morgue. Yes. That is super queer. Thank yep. you. And so it takes place in Manila and mm -hmm. is like half in Tagalog. I love it so much. It was yep. amazing. That one was amazing too. Yeah. There were so many good ones in there. Ugh, it's so good. I love Poe. Okay. 
Question three is from Fabiola, who says, I'm traveling to Prague October in October while I'm visiting the motherland, Poland, and I was wondering if you knew any books that are set in Prague where the city is very present. I know Lainey Taylor is a trilogy set there, so I would love to hear other suggestions, preferably adult, but if the YA is great with no romance as the main plot, that would be good, too. Okay, um, I picked... I mean, a classic, like, of Prague, you know, literature, uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. It's translated by Michael Henry Heim. And look, all right, so this is a book about communism, right? But in reality, it is a book about a th- an F-boy. Like, I can't say the full <laughs> thing. I can't say it on my show. You're right, though. <laughs> it is. It's kind of about how communism is an F-boy. Like, mm, mm. Um, so it's the, like the tale of a couple living in Prague in the 60s when the Soviet Union invades the Czech Republic. And um, the dude in this couple is an F-boy. Like he's a complete womanizer. The two of them are very in love, but he can't keep it in his pants. And so it's just their angst at each other while their city and their country is crumbling around them. They also have to like survive. So they're trying to survive physically during this big tumultuous political time, but also emotionally survive each other. Though in reality, it's it's just him. Like he's just the one messing everything up. Um, You also follow one of his mistresses and her boyfriend who like loves her very much. So there's a lot of infidelity going on here. Um, And it's a very like literary if you know what i mean i loved it while i also hated it because i hated everyone in the book it's one of those reading experiences but when i read it when i was in high school and it was the first time i'd ever heard read anything about prague first of all um or about prague specifically like the the specific experience of living in the czech republic during the soviet invasion like that was the first time i'd ever read anything about that bonus i'm just gonna shout out that if you are on goodreads Go to the reviews of this book because the Goodreads user Lynn, who is the second one, has written her entire review to the tune of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> is this a fiction? What? Is it just fantasy? <laughs> Not just a narrative of Czech infidelity, like the whole thing. It is amazing. Please go look at it. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So that's The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Mulan Kundera. <laughs> Thank you for that gift. I cannot <laughs> wait to go read that. Thanks, Lynn. You're amazing. Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Uh, okay, let's see. I have a YA for you. It's The Book of Blood and Shadow by Robin Wasserman. And there is a romance subplot, but there's also like a lot of murder and also secret societies. So it's the romance is definitely not the main point. And it opens with our main character, Nora, who like at the end of a night, her like her one of her friends is dead. One of her other friends is catatonic, and the guy that she's in love with has disappeared and is maybe a murderer. And, like, she's been, like, tranquilized and, like, has no idea, like, what has happened here. Like, everything is a mess. And she is, she can't believe that this guy that she was in love with is, in fact, a murderer. And she wants to prove his innocence. And so she's trying to, like, reconstruct how they got to this point. So you're going back a little bit. And, but she, the bulk of the story does take place in Prague. And there's this, like, secret, religious secret society. And there's a, a, you know, centuries-old manuscript that has maybe the secret to, like, the divine in it. And, you know, everybody wants control of this secret. And maybe Nora somehow 
ha- has the key to this secret and she has to figure out like who she can trust and who she can not trust and what actually happened and is her friend going to wake up ever and like people are dead and ugh, it's very tense um and it was really fun and i definitely like i read this book years ago and I still have when I thought about like, oh, Prague, what have I read that takes place in Prague? Like I had this like flash of this girl like running around the streets of Prague at night in this like historic district. And I was like, oh, that here we go. Like I still remember that vision from this book. So clearly it made an impact. Um, and I and also like who doesn't love a thriller, especially in October. <laughs> so again, that's The Book of Blood and Shadow by Robin Wasserman. Okay, our next question is from Lisa, who says, I've been searching for books that have a certain atmosphere and tone. You can tell, Amanda, that you had sort of a theme going on here. Well, it's October. (laughs) It is October. Uh, Let's see. Think Rebecca or In a Lonely Place. I love dark mid-century writing and also grim gothic atmospheres. I've read much of Hughes and Highsmith's backlist, not to mention those of other authors I discovered reading the women crime writers, the 40s and 50s anthologies, looking for something a little different than traditional hard-boiled noir. I'm more of a psychological suspense fan. I'm in love with the quaint, old-timey writing of the 40s, 50s, and 60s and looking for new discoveries. Bonus points if the novel is set on dark, windy coastal shores. I'm just going to keep talking. I picked The Unicorn by Iris Murdoch, which was first published in 1963 and takes place on a remote house on a desolate coast. Bingo! <laughs> and <laughs> <You're> I, <welcome. laughs> I read this book in high school. I don't remember how I found it. It was something I got from the library, I guess. And it is absolutely Iris Murdoch's take on Rebecca. And Iris Murdoch is an amazing writer. She's so good. Like, I just remember being in awe of her prose. Um, And the main character, Marion, takes a post as a governess at this castle. And there are weird mysteries and drama that she has to try to figure out. And, like, I when I think back to this book, because, like I said, I read it in high school. That has been a minute. Um, I All I can remember is feeling, like, incredibly stressed out. Like, that's what I remember. I remember the coastline, and I remember feeling incredibly stressed out. And so I think that is the atmosphere that you are looking for. So again, that is The Unicorn by Iris Murdoch. Okay, um, I picked Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller, which is kind of a mystery a little bit. It's historical fiction. It takes place in the 60s on a dark, windy coastal shore. So there <laughs> um, it, it takes place on a house, like a dilapidated old English country estate called Linton's. And the narrator's name is Frances. She is the architectural botanist or something like that. Like she's been hired by the new owner of this big crumbling estate to inspect the grounds and all of the gardens and give a report about like the state of them, including, you know, the arc- the frescoes and all the buildings um, and give a report about the, the state and like what repairs they need. So she's living in the house in 1969 in the attic um, while she undertakes this project. At the same time, there's a couple, Kara and Peter, who are also living in the house in the floor underneath her. They don't live in the floor. They live on the floor underneath her. Um, And Peter has been hired to do something similar, but inside. So he's like an interior decorator architect person who is evaluating the inside of the house. And Francis, for reasons that you learn about through flashbacks as you read the book, is like very socially awkward, not good with people. But she befriends this couple, Kara and Peter, and gets like maybe a little too close to them. It starts to, it crosses some lines. They get, they spend a lot of the summer like, 
picnicking while drunk. And you know what happens when you're in the English countryside picnicking while drunk. <laughs> just shenanigans. And then, like, a thing, a big tragedy happens that I'm not going to tell you because of spoilers. Um, and you are trying to figure out, like, why and who and, and who's to blame and who's evil. And, like, how did she get so entangled with this couple? It feels very much like Rebecca um, if the first wife never died. <laughs> like, if Rebecca as a character were still around um, and... The, you know, the narrator of Rebecca just like got started living in the house and like had to just interact with that couple. Um, it's very like that. Like it feels very, again, claustrophobic and like eerie and like what, you know, something is wrong with all of these people, but you don't know what at mm. first. And they act so normal at each other. And you're like, oh, you're all going to die, I think. But that might be, <laughs> I might be like, maybe I'm being melodramatic. I can't tell. <laughs> um, but then eventually you find out. And there are a lot of flashbacks from 1969 when the events of the book take take place to the present day when francis who is the narrator who's telling the story is in some kind of institution that you don't know anything about and she's elderly so you know that she survives whatever the thing is that happens um and you know that she is not able to leave the place where she is but you can't really tell at first if it's a hospital or like a mental institution or prison or like what's happening so it's very very intricately plotted like claire fuller gives you the information about what happened in like dribs and drabs it's so well done so that's bitter orange by claire fuller okay and now we're going to talk about our next sponsor which is what is it i don't know it's soho teen oh cool okay it's soho teen so brave teens facing impossible odds in two unforgettable debuts and a groundbreaking ya anthology uh, all from diverse voices these are the latest ya titles from soho teen they span countries cultures experiences queer girls ba battle anti-gay prejudice friendships blossom amidst you know tense political climates love blooms patriarchy is smashed great so the titles that they're talking about from soho teen that are coming out that you want to check out are hope is our only wing by Ritendo Tavangarwe. In this book, a teen grieves the loss of a parent during a big turbulent political movement in Zimbabwe. There's also a queer reimagining of a Greek myth called Orpheus Girl, which pits two teen girls against anti-gay prejudice. That's by Bryn Rebelli Henry. And there's also uh, editor Sungu Mandana's genre-busting short story collection called Color Outside the Lines, which is about interracial and LGBTQ plus couples tackling challenges big and small. So go check out all those books out now from Soho Teen. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Um, question five is from Kachina. So this is a two-parter. Um, let's see. Question. I'm treating myself to a birthday request after racking my brain for what I finally wanted to ask. I've decided I'm looking for a traditional slasher in an isolated location. Think along the lines of the Scream movies and the show Harper's Island. I recently read 10 by Gretchen McNeil and that really scratched the itch. Bonus question. My favorite month for themed reading is October. I love all the autumn feels of doing Halloween slash creepy reading. Already on the list are Rebecca, Saw Kill Girls, Practical Magic, and The Murders of Molly Southbourne, as well as potentially Hex and Let the Right One In. Any favorites you might have for some October reading would be great. Okay. Um, I picked The Hunger by Omakatsu for both of these questions. It's creepy <laughs> for October reading. Uh, it's also traditional slasher kind of in an isolated location. Um, but with like a supernatural twist. So The Hunger is about the Donner Party. Um, so you already know it's gross and weird. <laughs> and I like, 
oh, I made so much flilly like faces and like, oh, when I read this book, because I, I can't, I honestly can't believe I got all the way through it because my spook meter is also very delicate and I am a giant wuss and this was the creepiest. So it's about the Donner Party. It opens as they're leaving. I don't remember where they leave from, like Independence Rock. I don't know. Is this Oregon Trail? Sure. And they, uh, you know, go out on their trek to the West Coast. We all know what happened to the Donner Party in real life. Um, terrible weather, bad luck. They left too late in the season. Cannibalism. Uh, and so in this <laughs> retelling, I don't know, like, I, how else to summarize the Donner Party? And in this retelling of the Donner Party um, story, she adds a supernatural horror element. So the Donner Party sets off and immediately are beset by, like, terrible things. Like, a little boy dies. They realize that they're running out of food too fast. They can't figure out why everybody, like, everyone's constantly fighting and bickering. They decide that one of the Donners is probably a witch. Like, it's just immediate infighting and backstabbing and terribleness. And then they start to get kind of picked off. Then they start to feel like they're being hunted. And, like, the more and more you go, the more isolated the party gets from the rest of civilization. Um, And the more, like, just kind of evil everybody turns either turns out to be or becomes. Or maybe there's a monster or maybe they're being hunted by ghosts. Like, you know, you got to read it to find out. But it takes that Donner story and gives it a supernatural element. So the explanation becomes less about, like, poor planning on the part of humans and bad luck and bad weather and more about, like, maybe an ancient evil resides in the Rockies and, like, sucks to be you. (laughs) It's so gross. It's, like, gross and creepy and just all of the... That's that's my summary of the book. Just blah. (laughs) So that's The Hunger by Omakatsu. Nice. Um, Mine is more for the second part of the question, although it is in an isolated area, so, but it's not a traditional slasher. I don't know. You'll see how you like it. It's Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgishak Rice, which I know we've talked about before, but we haven't talked about it all this year. So there we go. This is a different kind of like collapse novel. It takes place in a very small northern Anishinaabe community, um, like way, way up in the north of Canada. And this is a region that is like traditionally underserved in terms of infrastructure. So like they've got satellite TV now and cell phones mostly work, but like also they're used to hunting and storing meat for the winter and like very having very tough winters. And like sometimes the electricity is going to go out and that's just sort of how it works. And like sometimes the satellite TV is not going to work like NBD. Um, and then so all of these things happen, but they all happen like you know, the cell phones don't work. And then the, you know, satellite TV cuts out and then the electricity cuts out and then they're not hearing from anybody. And they're like, what is going on? And, you know, some of them have like prepared for the winter, but some of them have not because, you know, they're used to having modern access to modern things. And in the meantime, they're like, what is going on? And they're not hearing anything from the outside world. And then one of the younger members of the community who has been off in college, like, comes back with this story of like everything has gone to hell in a handbasket and like maybe this is it maybe this is the apocalypse like it's definitely an infrastructure apocalypse and so the community has to like decide how are they gonna handle this like and there are strangers coming through and like do they accept them do they help each other is it every person for themselves like all of these things are in play and it is so atmospheric and so tense and there's this 
sort of subplot where you're like, I, how, what is going to happen? Like, what is going to happen? I don't know. It's very stressful. And I just loved all the characters. And I loved this vision because actually, you know, indigenous and Native American populations have undergone multiple infrastructure and apocalyptic catastrophes, like, you know, genocide and invasion and illness and all of those things. So the perspective on what happens next is very different which is so refreshing and it's just so well written and ugh, I just we're all obsessed with this book it's so great uh, so again that's Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgishik Rice so creepy <laughs> and our next question is from Caitlin who says I just found out I'm pregnant with my first child and even though I wanted and tried for this I find myself terrified I'm worrying about all the things my, my risk of miscarriage being pregnant childbirth parenting I'm just a ball of anxiety I have just about every pregnancy book ever written but do you have any memoirs Mary Roach-esque nonfiction about the science of pregnancy or happy fiction about pregnancy slash parenting an infant Amanda what did you pick Okay, so I, um, first of all, wish that a Mary Roach-esque... Mary Roach needs to write a book about mm -hmm, pregnancy. Mm -hmm. now. Like, I deeply need that to be a thing. Okay, um, I picked The Blue Jays Dance by Louise Erdrich, which is my favorite motherhood parenting whatever book. Um, it is a memoir, and it's kind of about being a parent, um, but also about being a writer and being uh, a spouse and just like an adult. Um, so this is a memoir of her year of her first, um, no, the first year of life of her daughter. Um, I don't think, I don't remember if she was her first child or no. No, I think this is a later child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she has this baby and is an established writer at the time um, and has been married for a bit uh, and doesn't really know how to continue like how to work an infant into her life like she has this really established career that's very successful and she's in the middle of writing a book and like this baby won't stop crying and like crawling and getting into stuff and like what do you want um and so it is i feel like so it's very it's a very meditative memoir she takes the baby with her out into her writing cabin um and like all, some of it is about watching you know birds outside of the window while the baby crawls on the floor and some of it is about the difficulties of being a creative person and having really good ideas ideas and getting really good work done when like a small human won't stop touching you um, or needs to be like constantly fed or watched. Um, so there is a lot of that like practical dealing with having a brand new baby in your house. Um, but it's so nice and quiet. And like she writes about the small moments of having a baby that's that little in ways that are so beautiful and like just calming. <laughs> I mean, I, re I didn't read it. I read it when my kids were, I think, five. So they were out, out of the baby, you know, period. But I still work from home and they still are around a lot, especially in the summer, making a lot of noise. And the ways that she is able to, like, just let that chaos happen while she somehow manages to just carry on with her life in this, like, very calm and wise and amazing and mature way, whereas I'm like, get the cookies off the floor, like, just yelling at everything, <laughs> um, made me feel so much better. Like, it is possible to have a newborn or have a child really any age around you while you continue to be who you are like you don't have to have a baby and then lose your identity you don't have to have a baby and then lose your professional um accomplishments you you can do you can maintain your like personhood and st and also having a newborn doesn't have to be this like frenetic completely sleepless nightmare i mean it, you're not going to sleep as much but the way that that uh, Louise Erdrich experiences those things, experiences, you know, the like normal stuff that comes with having a newborn, um, but still manages 
to be really chill and appreciative and meditative um, and still like go for walks and look at birds. It's just nice. Like, it's just nice. It's very soothing. So that's The Blue Jays Dance by Louise Erdrich. I picked for you a book that I, I was thinking about this and, you know, my own experiences with anxiety. And I was thinking about how sometimes what I need is something related to but completely different from my own situation. Like I need to get out of my own head and experience, you know, somebody else's perspective. And obviously, we don't know your race or ethnicity, but I picked you a book um, called Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin that is about adoption. So not the same journey that you're on, but motherhood, obviously. And oh, this is the part where so this feels really weird to have to do. But um, Nefertiti and Austin and I share an agent and so I guess I have to disclose that now. Like, that's a thing I have to say, um, because, you know, journalism ethics and whatnot. But I actually found out about this just because the buzz for this book is so strong. Like, I didn't get a copy through our agent. So now you have been disclosed, too. So anyway, so Motherhood So White is, like I said, a memoir. Um, and the subtitle is Memoir of Race, Gender, and Parenting in America. And Nefertiti is a single black woman who decides that she wants to adopt out of the foster care system. She lives in California and she like goes online to start looking for like, oh, what other women have done this and cannot find anything that reflects her own experience. And we've talked about this on the show before, too, how, you know, there are lots of motherhood memoirs out there and almost all of them are by white and straight women. And it's really hard to find narratives outside of that. And Nefertiti experienced that firsthand. And so she, like, while also struggling to find herself represented, continued on her journey, faced all kinds of, you know, difficulties and obstacles. And her family was just like, you're doing what? Like, why would mm -hmm. you do that? And then she also had a very troubled relationship with her own parents. They were drug addicts and did not, you know, give her a stable home growing up. So she ended up living with her grandparents, ultimately, who became her parents in a sort of unofficial adoption situation. Um, and she talks a lot about her relationship with her mother, you know, who she just really didn't have much of a relationship with and, you know, trying to come to terms with that and then what kind of mother she wanted to be. And then also what it's like to raise, you know, a little black boy in America and all of her concerns around that. And, you know, being a single woman and having, you know, children. And it's just, it's so... She's so good at telling these stories. Like, it just feels like you're chatting with her a little bit. But she's also, she's clearly very, um, like, she's thought so deeply about all of these issues. So it's incredibly thought-provoking as well. And so it's very accessible. It's really interesting. It feels so warm and frank. Like, some of these sections had me laughing out loud because she has a bunch of male friends who she's sort of called in to be a male role model in the life of her little boy um, so that he doesn't, you know, miss out on having male role models. But they're, like, constantly giving her, like, back talk about how she's raising him and like boys don't hug and like he's gonna be a mama's boy and like blah blah he's soft blah 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 and her like little like she you know does a couple of like little like mini conversation dialogue bits with them and I was laughing so hard it was amazing um so I just loved this book and I think that you know 
you will find things that reflect your own worries, but then also things that aren't the same as yours. And maybe that will help just like broaden your perspective and get you out of your own head for a little bit. So again, that's Motherhood So White by Nefertiti Austin. Okay, our last question is from Lizzie, who says, I recently started listening and stumbled upon your episode about fifth element sci-fi-ish books. I took your book, Wreck, for the long way to a small angry planet and absolutely loved it. I'd love more recommendations that follow along the same lines, specifically the space setting and character development. Um, Okay, so first of all, let's all just take a minute to acknowledge that The Fifth Element is a perfect movie in every way. (laughs) Just perfect. (laughs) Fifth Element and Jurassic Park are the only two perfect movies that exist. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag (laughs) multipass. Um, So I picked Finder by Suzanne Palmer because the main character in this book is a guy named Fergus Ferguson, and he reminded me so much of Corbin Dallas. So so Fergus Ferguson is a space repo man, um, hence the name Finder. His whole job is to uh, get hired by various companies and people who need things repossessed, you know, and then like go out into space and find them, which can take a while because space is large. So there you go. He's got a new job. It's to find Venetia Sword, which is a spaceship that has been stolen by Aram Gilger, who's like a crime boss who has taken the ship and set up shop on this in this like town that's at the far, far reaches of like the very edge of the universe. And he's in, like inserted himself into this little community and taken it over um, and like has this spaceship. So Fergus finds Gilger and the ship and makes a plan to take it back. But when he gets there, he realizes that he has arrived in the middle of this community's like complete devolution. Like a, there's a big, there's a civil war basically happening in this little town um, that is uh, separated by, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like people live in the, what are, they're called habs, basically. They're um, kind of not, they're not like spaceships that are connected with cables. It's complicated. Anyway, so he arrives and is like, oh, this isn't good. Like, everything is falling apart. He befriends a 19-year-old girl, um, which when I first read that was like, oh, that's going to go badly because he's like a 40-year-old dude. But it's awesome. Their relationship is amazing and totally respectful um, and appropriate. And she's a great character. Um, And what's also happening at the same time is this, like, mythical alien race that the local community is terrified of because according to like local lore they show up and take people who are like outside not in their habs but like who are outside traveling or whatever um when these when the aliens show up and then they return them in ways that are where they're they're different um so i don't want to like spoil and tell you more um and so when he shows up the civil war is breaking out and also these aliens arrive in their very like ominous large black triangle shaped spaceships and then just start quietly following him around and it's super weird um so there's all of these mysteries happening at once like how is he going to get this spaceship back why is the civil war suddenly happening right now why, it, like how does he stay out of it he doesn't stay out of it spoiler because they never stay out of it corbin dallas would not stay out of it <laughs> Um, and he has a, and also like what's up with these aliens. So he as a character is amazing. I, I think I mentioned this when I recommended this book before on the show. Um, but you know, when I pick up a book that's like space cowboy goes on adventures, I'm usually like, oh God, you know, like they, they interfere in, you know, local communities and ruin stuff. And they like are hard drinking and disrespectful and horrible to everyone around them. But like, they're doing their best Han Solo impersonation, so it's fine. I hate that kind of thing. But he is nothing like that. He enters into these communities because he has to, and it's his job. But it's only to do this one thing, like to find this one thing. And he really tries to minimize his impact on other people. He like thinks about what his impact on other people, like the consequences of his actions, which for like a space cowboy character 
is so refreshing <laughs> and should be the norm, but isn't. Um, and he, you know, like there's a lot of stuff talk about consent in the book and not an agency. It's just so good. It's super, super fun. Great adventure. So that's Finder by Suzanne Palmer. The Space Cowboy Prime Directive, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like it. Gonna have to read that. Uh, okay, I picked The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt, which is the first in the Axiom series, of which the third book comes out, or is out now. It's out now. So you have three books to read if you like this first one. And I loved this first one. I haven't been able to pick up the next two yet, but I'm really excited to. It is about a crew of a ship that does freight and salvage. Um, way out in the edges of the solar system. And they discover one day a wreck of a really old spaceship that absolutely should not be floating around where it's floating around. And then it turns out there is somebody on board the spaceship in like a cryo chamber who they wake up and this person starts screaming about first contact with aliens. And they're like, uh, we have been dealing with aliens for like a, like a maybe a hundred plus years now. Like it's, it's cool. Like you don't have to worry about it. And, and it turns out though that the aliens that she's talking about are not the aliens that humanity has been interacting with. And then everything goes sideways. There are like explosions and, you know, big, big bad things happening and like crazy alien installations that they have to explore and like escape from and like some mind control stuff. And it's really, really intense. And it's also super inclusive. There are queer characters. There are disabled characters. There are, you know, people from different races and ethnicities. And it's so matter of fact, like they they just exist in this world. Like that's just normal, which is really nice. Like it's not a big deal. Um, and yeah, and the action sequences are so good. Like it reminded me a little bit of the Alien movie franchise, but like not quite as creeptastic as that. Um, and also like the fun and sort of... Um, modern sensibilities of Fifth Element or uh, the Becky Chambers books. And I just loved the characters' interactions and this world. And one of the alien species, they call them the liars because they just constantly lie about everything, like all the time, everything forever. And they cracked me up and also were really interestingly deployed um, in terms of the plot development. Ugh, it's so smart. So yeah, I think you'll dig it. Again, that's The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt. It's the first in the Axiom series. And that's our show. Hey! Hashtag Multipath. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>